You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, good morning, Harvest. I would invite you to open up your Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to consider verse 6 to 9 today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 9. In many aspects of our lives, change and finding true change is hard. And I've found that so frequently, plans are good, but change takes more than a plan. It takes putting that plan into practice. Think of health or dieting. You might recognize, I don't have the same energy as I used to. Something has to change. And you go to your doctor, and the doctor diagnoses you and says, here's a plan for change. Maybe your finances aren't what they used to be, and you look at your bank account, or maybe some of us are going to look at our credit card statement in January and say, something's got to change. And maybe you can go to a financial advisor, and you open up your books, and they say, here's a plan for change. Just like our attitude, or excuse me, just like dieting, budgeting, our attitude in the midst of trials, we can have a plan for change through the reasons that we have in our hope, but if we don't put it into practice, we're not going to see real change. Last week, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, showed us the reasons that we have for hope. And today, in verse 6 to 9, we're not going to see any new doctrinal information. We're going to see how this doctrine, this truth of our living hope, was applied in the lives of those whom the Apostle Peter wrote to. We're going to hear encouragements of the truth and see examples of how that truth is lived out. Church, hope makes a difference in our lives through trial. And today, we're going to see the four results that come from our living hope as we put it to practice in our lives through our trials. So recognizing this is where we're going today, would you stand with me as we so frequently do to read the scripture in honor of God? This is God's word. It speaks to us today and this is what it says, verse six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's turn our attention to God for prayer. Father in heaven, uh, we need your grace and your mercy. Many of us are struggling through times of trials. Many of us are struggling to endure. Many of us feel weak. And some might want to give up. Father, we need your grace. We need your mercy. 
We need your living hope. Father, thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are the God of all comforts and the Father of hope. God, would you grant us your hope today by your Holy Spirit as we consider your word. Do this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope makes a difference. So here's the first result that we see when we put into practice our living hope. The first result is that your faith will be purified. It will result in your faith being purified. Look back at the text with me, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, okay, pause here for a moment. Whenever you're reading the scripture, and I hope you do have a pattern and a habit of regular Bible reading, when you read the scripture and you see the word so that, you're coming upon what the author is about to deliver, uh, his purpose that he's about to deliver, which kind of summarizes the truth that just preceded that. So that, we have a purpose coming. What's the purpose? So that the test of genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and honor and glory through the revelation, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first result of putting our hope into practice is that hope will make a difference by our faith being purified. The purpose of our trials in our lives is that God is refining and purifying the quality of your faith. In the same way that gold is refined and purified. You see, when a jeweler wants to sell me a gold ring like this, it doesn't come out of the ground like this. It's not mined like this. It's mixed with a lot of other minerals and impurities, but they want to sell me, they want to get the most of my money and sell me the best thing. So after it is mined, it will be refined and purified through fire. Because you see, the impurities are so mixed into the gold, the only way to get rid of them is to melt it, putting it in a crucible and then burning. And then the, the gold will melt and the impurities, the dross will come to the top and then it can be removed. But you can't see either what impurities are there and you can't see the true quality of the gold until it's put through fire. Last week I suggested about 10 different types of trials that we may be struggling through. I wonder if you're struggling through one of these. Maybe you're experiencing trials through failing physical or mental health. Maybe you're experiencing family or marital conflict, financial instability, the loss of a loved one, you're being alienated for your faith. Your mind is being assailed by the attacks of demonic lies. You feel the sting of personal failure. Maybe you're, maybe you're being treated unfairly or your character is being smeared or maybe you're just really uncertain about what the future holds for you. Are you going through a trial right now? Have you been through a trial and... You don't know why God was putting you through it. 
God has a purpose in your trials. Friends, brothers and sisters, God uses the trials that we experience to refine and purify our faith. And what's the difference? What's the difference that that can be seen when we go through the trials? Well, God wants to uh, refine and purify your faith so that the quality of your faith better reflects the quality of the perfect character of Jesus Christ. Do you want that for your life? Do you want to become more like Jesus Christ? God God wants that for you. If you're fine where you are in your sanctification, you're on a different plan than God. God wants you to keep growing. And sometimes the only way that we can see the impurities that God wants to remove is through a time of trial. Today you're going to hear encouragement from the truth of God's word, but you're also going to see examples. You're going to see examples of people who did endure and went through trials and God made a difference in their life. Here are some examples. Here are some people through scripture that God refined through trials. They would not have been the people they became if it were not through the trials. Think of people like Abraham. Abraham is known as the man of faith right? The prototype of what godly faith should look like, but he didn't always have a strong, unwavering faith. When God called him to leave his home and go to another land, he didn't know where that land was, but he left in faith, believing that God would bless him and make his family a great nation. But even after he left, he was waiting for a son, and he kept waiting. And he kept waiting. Abraham waited a long time. And you know what? Abraham did a lot of stupid things while he waited. God promised that he would have a son and that from that line a great nation would come, but he was waiting, so he tried to conspire his own way to get an heir, to get a son. He did some stupid things. But in the waiting, God was faithful. And then when God provided that son, Abraham had an unwavering faith. And that would not have been possible if it were not through the trial and refining of waiting. Think of Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Great-grandson of Abraham. Uh, Joseph was a pretty boy who got a nice robe and was kind of given some preferential treatment by daddy. And he liked it. And he boasted about it. And then he went through some severe trials. His brothers beat him and sold him into slavery and told his daddy he was dead. While in slavery, his master's wife accused him of falsely of sexual misconduct, and he was thrown into jail. Over a long, long, long time of mistreatment that was so unfair, God humbled him. And when the time came where Joseph Joseph was elevated to a place of influence, he knew that he was only there because of the power of God. God took this proud and arrogant kid and made him humble, but that would not have been possible without the trial. 
What impurities might be present in your life that God wants to remove? Maybe he'll use a trial to get rid of it. God can use trials to refine those guided by foolish, youthful lusts to live with mature wisdom. God can take those who are insecure people-pleasers and use trials to make them men and women of conviction. God can use trials to refine grumblers and complainers into people who obsessively give thanks. God can use trials to refine those who are self-righteous and divisive into those who are meek and harmonious. And he can use trials to refine those who are angry and argumentative into those who listen and defer. He can take those who are vain and self-absorbed and make them those who only seek the interests of others. What does God want to do in your life? And if you don't think you need to grow in your sanctification, God's on a different plan than you, and he can use trials to refine you. But be encouraged, church. God wants to do this because he loves you, because, because he considers your faith more valuable than gold. And trials are the crucible that he uses to make you more like Christ, to make me more like Christ because I'm still growing just like you are too. You may not know what your impure thing is right now that needs to be removed, but through a trial you can see. And it's worth it to endure. Your loving father believes that your faith is more valuable than gold. What difference will hope make? Well, your faith will be purified. Not only this, but it will result... Hope will result in your endurance being commended. The difference hope will make, well, it will result in your endurance being commended. Let's look back at the passage, verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. While the purifying of your faith is a result that happens now, the commendation is a result that will happen in the future when Christ returns. And you know, this passage of Scripture is very meaningful to me. It's been very dear to me and close to me in hard times of my life. But whenever I read it before, I always read and assumed the praise and the glory and the honor it would happen at the revelation of Jesus Christ, but I always assumed that the praise and the glory and the honor would also be directed to Jesus Christ. But I learned something new as I studied this passage this past week. And as I cross-referenced other um, authors that I trust, and what I found is that this praise and glory and honor that will come at the revelation of Jesus Christ isn't actually directed to Jesus Christ to us who endure. The result of your endurance, church, is that on that last day when Christ returns, he will see what you endured through and you will be commended for it. This is the hope that we have of that good news, that good news that Christ will say to all who endure until the end. It's that statement and that good news that's better than any other news you've heard in your entire life. 
Better than congratulations, you've been, you graduated. Better than congratulations, it's a boy. Better than you may kiss your bride. It's that good news that we will hear if we endure on that last day. Well done, good and faithful servants. But you're not going to hear it if you don't endure. And there are other passages of Scripture that, that agree. On your own time, I would encourage you to look up 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. This passage, amongst many others, agree that the, what we will receive in that last time when Christ returns is a commendation. And yes, this is a future result, but, but the knowledge of this future result should have an impact and make a difference on our faith now. Because in the midst of our trials, we may feel like we're running on empty. Or in the midst of our trials, we may feel like we're crawling around in darkness. Maybe you feel like in your trial right now, you've the tank hit empty in the middle of the highway and you had to like veer off into the side of the road and you think, I just can't go on any longer. The knowledge of the hope of our condemnation can fill up your tank so that you can keep going. Even when you feel like you're an empty, it seems that I still have fuel, I still have fuel, I can still go because Christ sees me endure. Christ sees you as you endure, church. He watches you, he sees the struggle, he went through the struggle, and he will commend you for your endurance. You can endure. It's like light in the darkness. My parents in their cottage up at uh, Muskoka, they got a crawl space. And it's called a crawl space because you're gonna, if you have to go into that space, you need to crawl around. It's like this high. And, and you, we have to go down there to turn on the tap for our water, and it's not fun to crawl around on my belly. It's not fun to crawl around in the dust. It's cold and it's wet, and I know I need to get to that spot over there, and I know I've got to crawl to get there, and sometimes, you know, if I don't have a light, I'm just crawling around in the dust. And... But if you have a light... You're still crawling, it's still wet, it's still muddy, it's still dark, but you at least see where I need to go. And the knowledge of our commendation that's waiting for you, yeah, you're, you're gonna drag yourself through this trial. It might feel like you're crawling around in your belly, but with the knowledge of the commendation, you know where we're going. Christ is returning and he will commend your endurance. He sees you, he watches you. It's light for the darkness. It's fuel for our tank. It's worth it to endure the pain of our trials so that we can hear those fateful words on that last day. But some of us might not feel like we can endure. The reality is, a lot of us struggle through our trials. Many of us feel like we want to quit. Even the most godly and mature among us may feel like they want to give up. And there are a lot of reasons why we can feel like we want to give up. Maybe you feel one of these reasons. Maybe you feel like you want to give up because you feel like you're alone. Christian, never forget that God is with you. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with you. Maybe you want to give up because you feel like it isn't fair. And you know what? That's... I empathize with that. Some people are 
feel like they, the whole, their whole life they got the short end of the stick. But we live under the realm of God's providence and God's sovereignty, and you may not see it right now, but he is working everything together for our good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But maybe some of you are, feel like giving up for another reason, a bad reason. Because you've lost hope in our future accommodation. You've lost hope in your future accommodation because you're in love with this world right here, right now. Remember, in this message, you're going to hear encouragement of the truth, and you're going to see examples. I'm going to give you an example of someone who quit. I'm going to give you an example of someone who bailed. Paul, the apostle, had a lot of companions when he was traveling around preaching the gospel. One of these guys, his name was Demas. At the end of Paul's life, he was in a prison in Rome. There was only one person left with him, and some of his companions like, were sent off to other churches to help. Demas, it says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 10, the apostle Paul says, Demas in love with this present world, has deserted me. Bro, quit. Because when Paul was in prison for preaching for Jesus, he was in love with his world. That's shameful. And if you feel like you're ready to quit, but, but you're living in the way that 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 tells us not to live, I'm not surprised that you feel like you want to quit. See, 1 John 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world, for anyone, whoever loves the world does not have the love of the Father in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, are not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and all its desires are passing away. But the one who does the will of my Father will abide forever. Iron pyrite. Maybe you've heard of that before. Iron pyrite is what people think is gold when they pull it out of the ground, but it's actually fool's gold. And if you're in love with this present age, thinking it's going to offer you some kind of value, but you feel like you want to give up on Jesus, you've exchanged treasure for trash. And don't let your culture fool you any differently. But be encouraged by the example of Paul. Demas bailed, but Paul endured. When Demas bailed, Paul was in prison, and Paul said this, 2 Timothy 2, uh, 4, verse 6 to 8. He said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He endured. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all 
who love his appearing. What do you love? In the midst of your trial, you need to ask yourself, what do I love? Do I love this present world or do I love the treasure that is waiting for me? Don't mistake fool's gold for the real thing. Fix your eyes on that future commendation and it will fuel your tank, give you light in the darkness, and you can endure. How will hope make a difference? Your faith will be purified. Your endurance will be commended. And then this, how will hope make a difference? It will result in your joy abounding more. Your joy will abound. Look at verse 8 with me. Turn your eyes back to the scripture so we can see this truth together. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You know, actually, we're in a very similar place to where the people that Peter wrote to were in their time. We, our faith and our love for Jesus depends on the accurate witness of the apostles who lived with Jesus and heard his teaching and saw him raised to life after he was dead. We never saw Jesus, but we can have faith in Jesus. We never have seen Jesus, but we can love Jesus. These people that Peter wrote to were in a similar place. They never saw Jesus. They relied on the accurate witness of Peter and the other apostles. And when they heard it, they believed. And even in the midst of their trials, even though they didn't then see him, they believed, they loved, and they had joy. What is joy? The simplest definition that I found from my study this week is this. Joy is a state of gladness in light of my position in Christ, regardless of my circumstances. Joy is a state of gladness in light of my position in Christ, regardless of my circumstances. Knowing who I am in Christ, knowing knowing that I'm a child of God, that I am declared righteous and justified, knowing that one day I will be glorified, regardless of my trials, regardless of my trials, I can be glad. And this passage says that we can have an inexpressible joy. What does that mean? Inexpressible doesn't mean that it cannot be expressed. Inexpressible means that words are not enough to express the state of gladness that I have in the Lord. Well, if I don't have words, what do I have? When we don't have words, we have an awe of God. You know what awe is. People pay big money to experience awe. That's why you get tickets to go to the ROM. That's why some of you like to go to the red carpet at TIFF each year. That's why we go to Wonderland. That's why you drive up to Algonquin Park. Awe is that enrapturing wonder that captures your heart, steals your breath, and leaves behind this real sense of amazement towards something that is so obviously and beautifully greater than I am. Humans 
crave a sense of awe, but all of the awe of the world is dust and ash compared to the weight of the glory of the awe of God. And you can have this awe in our joy because of our place in Christ even in the midst of your trials. And it is, is filled, it's an awe that's filled with glory. Because even though I'm in my trial right now, I'm filled with that future glory that I will be with Christ one day, even though I'm in my trial right now. So even though I'm in a trial right now, I know that I will be with Christ forever one day. Do you have that? That awe-inspired, glory-saturated joy? You can have that, even in the midst of trials. But some of us kind of go through our trials reluctantly. They know they need to endure, but they feel like they just need to like white-knuckle the wheel and get through. I know I've got to endure don't tell me how I should feel. It's kind of like, I know i got to swallow this pill. Don't make me take the cough syrup too. I know i got to go to this business Christmas party. Don't make me play games and pretend like I need to have fun. I know I need to endure, but don't tell me how to feel. Christian, God wants more than just your duty. He wants your heart as well. You don't need to reluctantly drag yourself through trials. You can have joy in the midst of them. In my time in youth ministry here at Harvest, I once had a teen ask me an interesting question. And it might sound like a weird question to adults, because some, we forget sometimes what it was like to be a teen, and we don't know what it's like to be a teen now in this age, but uh, this, this guy asked me, if I'm going to follow Jesus, does that mean I can't have fun? It, it was a sincere question and an honest question, but weird, but I empathize with it because one of the most frequent trials that young Christians struggle through is loneliness. I did. When I was in middle school, I saw the way that my non-Christian classmates lived, and I knew I couldn't live that way. I knew I couldn't have fun the way that they had fun because it contradicted God's word. When I went into grade nine and went to high school, I started seeing my Christian friends in my youth group starting to live that same way. And I needed to make a decision. Am I going to have fun like the world has fun? Or am I going to endure and follow Jesus? And my parents always encouraged me to endure. And I made the decision by the grace of God that I would. But I didn't have joy. Not at least in the biblical sense of joy. I was happy sometimes. Yeah, things made me happy. Craft dinner made me really happy. <laughs> Sleep made me really happy. Organized sports made me happy. I was at home a lot on the weekends because I wasn't out having fun, but 
Saturday night watching the Leafs didn't really make me happy. You don't need to reluctantly drag yourself through your trial. God wants more than your duty. He wants your heart. If I could speak to my 15-year-old self, I would remind him who he is in Christ. That his identity isn't based on how other treat him, people treat him or if other people accept him, but his self-worth is secured in God's love for him in Christ Jesus. Joy is a state of gladness in light of my position in Christ, regardless of the circumstances, and we can have an awe-inspired, glory-saturated joy. Do you have it? God wants more than your duty. He wants your heart. What difference will hope make? It will purify your faith. Your endurance will be commended. Your joy will abound. And then this last one, what difference will hope make? It will result in your salvation being realized. Your salvation will be realized. Let's look at verse 9. It says this, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Interestingly, uh, Peter's statement agrees with many other claims in the scripture, which allows us to form a, a doctrine that we call the perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints is the doctrine that teaches that genuine Christians cannot lose their salvation and they will endure to the end, no matter what comes their way. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Also, interestingly, in verse 9, notice how Peter qualifies our salvation. It says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. But look back with me in verse 5. In verse 5, salvation's already uh, spoken about once. It says in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Why did Peter refer to salvation just with the word itself, salvation in verse 5, and then qualify it in verse 9 as the salvation of our souls? Well, in context here, the word soul isn't referring to like the immaterial part of human nature. Like there's the material body and the immaterial soul. There are many aspects in scripture where soul does refer to that. But in this instance, it seems likely that soul is really a reference to what other parts of scripture use the word soul. Soul references the whole of our human nature, all of our existence. So knowing that true Christians will endure to the end, It seems like Peter is emphasizing here that though we know that we will be fully and comprehensively saved in the future, that doesn't mean that we may be saved from the trial right now in the way that we expect. When I was younger, I really liked um, this trend in literature called choose your own adventure novels. Have you heard of those before? Choose your own adventure novels are really fun. 
regular book, you start at chapter one, and you've got to flip each page over and over, and you just got to follow it sequentially until the end. Choose your own adventure books were different. You could, like, at the end of a chapter, say, do you want to see if this happened to the villain, or do you want to see if that happened to the villain? And you can choose, go to chapter seven, go to chapter three, and you could kind of, like, read your own story and choose your own ending, and I like that. we don't get that say through the chapters in the story of our life. At the end of our narrative, we know that we win. We know that we're saved. But in this chapter of our life right now, God may not save us from the trials that we have right now in the way that we expect. So you need to ask the question of yourselves. Genuine Christians endure. I may not be saved from this trial in the way that I think. Will I go through it? Is it worth it not to give up? Is it worth it to keep going? It is worth it. It absolutely is worth it. Because our salvation isn't dependent on our endurance. God started it, God started it, it in you, God will finish it in you. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. God is going to finish it, but we're working with him. Will you endure? You can endure. God is going to finish it. This trial is worth it. In the midst of your trial, God is finishing what he started. Hope makes a difference. God is finishing what he started. You can endure through it with an awe-inspired, glory-saturated joy, and you will be commended for your endurance, and your faith is going to be purified. So, church... Do you see hope making a difference in your life? Look back at the beginning of the passage as we close with this thought. Verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It's interesting what the Apostle Peter says about our trials here. He says they're necessary. And, and we've learned that they are necessary because God purposes that through our trials he will refine our faith. And it might not feel this way right now, but they are only for a little while. In comparison to eternity in paradise, our trials are only for a little while. And we are being grieved, but it's worth it to endure. We introduced a new song that we started singing this fall, and it's about trials. But normally we sing this song kind of upbeat and high energy, yet if you listen closely to the lyrics, it's actually quite sobering. So in a moment, Sam's going to sing a portion of this song, and I would invite you to thoughtfully 
think over the lyrics that he sings. And then ask yourself, will I choose to glorify God in the midst of my trials? I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will for all my days yes I will and that is the difference that hope makes would you stand with me as we pray and then sing this song together Father in heaven thank you thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ a living hope, a valid hope, a secured hope. And Lord, we struggle and suffer in the midst of this broken life, and you see it. Your Son can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way that we were, yet without sin. Thank you, Father. Thank you that we have a Savior that knows our struggles and that is able to offer the grace and the mercy that we need. God, we need your grace. We need your mercy. You are looking for worshipers. You are looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth, but sometimes it feels like the trial steals my joy. Oh God, awaken us to see the truth of the hope that we have that we might truly worship you. In Jesus' name.